trust you come hungry, expectant, ready to eat. Romans chapter 5, let's begin reading over here in verse 6. Romans 5, 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad for that? Now what we're seeing here is a separation between how man acts and how God acts. Uh, in other words, he said, for a righteous man, someone might die. But and you know, but when it came to the Lord, well, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrates His own love toward us in, uh, in sending Jesus. And so the love of God is revealed to us in God giving to people, us, um, what we didn't deserve. What we didn't, we weren't worthy of. All right, but He gave it to us anyway. Likewise, when we abide in and, and live in the true love of God, that's my title for this series, True Love, then we will also do things for others, uh, even if they don't deserve it. We will give to people, not because they, uh, they, they've earned it necessarily, but just because of our love that we are showing towards them. God is that way towards you, has been, is, will always be that way towards you, giving you stuff, blessing you beyond what you deserve to experience. Now, in understanding what true love is all about, we look primarily to the Lord Jesus and His life, the things that He did, because if I can see how He acted, if I can see how He treated others, how He dealt with circumstances, then I am seeing how the Father treats me. All right, Jesus is, the, as the Scripture said, the express image of the Father. I find out the will of God by looking at Jesus. Everybody with me today? I, I said by looking at Jesus. Not by looking at Job, but by looking at Jesus. Jesus is the express image of God. I find out how God relates to me, what He does for me, by seeing how Jesus talked to and related to other people. And if I can see how He did it, then I know how love acts. I know how love treats me. This is the love of God in the flesh. But understand that, that, that true love is not pushy, uh, but, but very considerate. You know that God is not pushy with you. He, he's not forcing us into things. He's not driving us, you know, getting behind us and forcing us into right behavior, or into the place that He wants us. No, the Holy Spirit of God is a gentle spirit. He leads us. He guides us. You know, one of those symbols of the Spirit is the, is the dove. Remember when the, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily shape or form as a dove. Uh, the Lord is our shepherd. How many know the shepherd doesn't get behind the sheep with a whip? You know, like you might with different types of animals. Uh, but but with, uh, with the sheep, the, she the sheep get to know the shepherd's voice and he leads them. Okay, so this is how love acts. It leads people, doesn't drive people, doesn't force them into particular behaviors and actions. Uh, and, and so if God is not that way, way, way with us, how many know we shouldn't be that way with others? If you think God is that way with you, demanding and forcing and pushing and driving you, you probably treat other people that way as well. But when you recognize that's not how you're being treated, then we can adapt and abide in this love, 
keep ourselves in this love and relate this way to other people. All right. And so a lot of when we a lot of this love that should dominate and guide our behavior has to do with just simply being considerate of someone else. Forgetting about, forgetting about ourselves, our own wishes, our own desires and needs, and being thoughtful of somebody else. You know, do you find yourself communicating with others and saying things like, you know, it, is, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, some haven't said that for a, a while. You might want to say that to someone on the way out. <laughs> is there anything I can do for you? See, again, some have the idea that if we talk to God, He's all about, do this. Go here. Knock that off. Do that, you know. And it's all about those kind of communications. God telling us what to do. No, if you really heard His voice, you'd hear Him say things like, Anything you want? Anything I can do for you today? That's the way love is. You know, many times we're so preoccupied with, with our lives and our schedules and our busyness and what, what's on our task list uh, that we're not thinking about someone else. You know, you call them on the phone. It might be a perfect time for you. You chose to call them at that time. But maybe they're answering and they're right in the middle of something else. It's, a pro, it's, it's the love of God to be mindful of them and say, you know, things like, hey, is this a good time for you? Can we talk now? Or should I, should I get a hold of you at another time? Would, would that be better for you? Just always looking out for others, looking out, putting their interests before your own. Uh, they have a life too. They're going somewhere too. They have a to-do list as well. And, uh, and this is the way the love of God acts. It's not the way a toddler acts, right? I mean, uh, has anybody ever been a toddler? Remember, remember your vocabulary back then? It consisted primarily of one word, and that's mine, right? Mine. What? What's mine? Anything I want. Mine. You know, usually it revolves around toys and food and, you know, candy and <laughs> things like that. But if it, you know, if I saw it first, it's mine. And if you saw it first, well, it's mine. And if I have it, it's mine. And if you have it, it's mine. And it's all about, I'm going to fulfill my desire. I'm going to fulfill my need. But when someone matures, hopefully they do, they start to say, would you like this? Hey, why don't you go first? No, go on ahead. Is there anything I can do for you? What do you need? And that really is the, the, the atmosphere of heaven. It's the atmosphere of God. It's looking out for someone, for someone else. A, a person I heard uh, some time back who had an experience, a vision, an experience in heaven. They said the one interesting characteristic about it said everyone was always just serving each other. I mean the big wigs, you know, the big dogs in, in you know, who's who in heaven. You know what they were about? Just serving someone else. Is there anything I can do for you? People would come up to each other. Do you need anything? Can I get something for you? And it's just the atmosphere of love that we're mindful of someone else and not just our own, our own needs and what we want. All right. The Bible says about Jesus. He said about himself in Mark chapter 10. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Amen. So, that, so we can see that in the Lord's own uh, life here on the earth, He came not to be served, but to serve. God is all about giving things away. You know, even when Jesus taught uh, about putting the kingdom first, about not worrying about our lives, what we're going to eat and wear and eat and, uh, you know, live in and, and all that kind of stuff, and He said, just seek first the kingdom. 
And we know that in that message, if I'm seeking first the kingdom, then I'm I'm a giver. I I give what I have for the purposes of the kingdom. But you know, Jesus followed that, that, that whole teaching right up with this statement. He said, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, right in the middle of, of talking about giving stuff away and doing things for somebody else, he reminds us this is the way the Father is. It's his good pleasure to give you everything. He wants to give you the whole lot. And so, God's not taken from you. No matter what some people are singing in church these days, I know people are trying to sing about the Lord giving and the Lord taking away. Man, that's about, that's about the dumbest thing you could ever sing. I say that in a nice way if I can, but... Uh, you know, that's not what God's about. Uh, that's not what He's involved in in your life. He's not taking things away from you. Uh, no, the love of God gives. God so loved the world that He gave. Not God so loved the world that He took the last bit of strength and health and, and uh, prosperity and everything that you had. He took it away from you. No. God's into, He's on the giving side. Go to Romans chapter 13 with me. If you're still over there in Romans 5, you're not too far away. Romans, the 13th chapter. And, and notice, notice with me over here in verse 8. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. It reads, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, now think about that for, for a moment. Why shouldn't I owe anyone anything except to love one another. Well, one is the debt of love, if you will, never runs out. There's never a time in my life where, okay, I've loved you, good, now I'm back to me. I've looked out for you, I've helped you, I've been kind to you, but I'm done with that. I've paid that off, now I'm back to being self-centered, and I'm going to focus on number one. No, no, no. Always it will be the case that we will love each other. And we are, that's part of this life. We are obligated to, this is the New Testament command and law, that we are to love one another. But think about it. Why should I not owe anyone anything? Well, it just basically has to do with this. If I'm looking out for someone else, why would I withhold what I owe them? In other words, if you owe someone something, pay them back. Why? Because that's love. If I have something that belongs to you, and I hold on to that and keep that, how is that the love of God? No, it's just the opposite. If you owe someone, pay them back. Give it back to it. Give it back to them. All right? And keep loving them. You'll never be able to pay that back. Because God so loved us, and that love has eternally impacted us for His kingdom forever. Amen. Everybody here today? All right, talk to me now. He said, for, the, for who loves, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, now think about it. He's going to go back and recount some of the law. And look what it, what it is. He said, verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Now, let me add something to these. You shall not commit adultery. How? Well, against someone else. You shall not murder. Well, what? Someone else. You shall not steal from someone else. You shall not bear false witness against someone. Or you shall not covet what someone else has. If there is any other commandment, 
all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor. So that's what we're talking about. Neighbor, in other words, not you, as yourself. You shall love someone else. You're not going to take from them, not going to kill them, not going to steal from them, not going to do these things, but you're going to love them as you would yourself. Well, what do you mean yourself? The natural response we have to our own needs is, if I'm hungry, I'm going to find some food, right? If I need something, I'm going to find a way to make it happen, you know? If I see the car driving down the street that I want, I'm going to figure out a way that I can get that thing. You know what I'm talking about? Our, 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 our flesh and our mind is, is designed, I mean, I don't know about designed, but fallen <laughs> to a place where we're always looking to fulfill our needs. This is what I want, and I'm going to make this happen. But it's not so much by nature, I say, and I say by nature, just because of the fallen world we live in, looking out for somebody else. That's why he said all these commandments... They just have to do with somebody else and not treating them wrong, not doing them wrong. He said, just love your neighbor, the someone else, like yourself. And then you fulfilled this. That's why in the New Covenant, we're just given one command, love. You don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments or the 600 others. Just love. If you can just get settled on that love, you're going to treat everyone right. Everyone's going to be set up. Everyone's going to be the way they're supposed to be. Okay? So love, if you go on to read here, it says in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Again, talking about who? If we're, opera- if we're living in, abiding in this love, we're talking about neighbor or someone else other than ourselves. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love will never do someone else wrong. It will do no ill to someone else. It's always mindful, what does that person need? What can I do to benefit them? Not, what can I do to benefit me? Love doesn't talk about people. Love doesn't recount what someone else did wrong. It's very common in people's lives, in Christians' lives even. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear what they did? This person did this. This person did this. And people recount and, and restate Things. Sometimes they'll say, well, you know, just wanted to let you know so you could pray for them. Uh, but the reality is it's just flesh. It's just the flesh getting involved and wanting to be a, a part of shocking information or driving another person down to make yourself look better. Do you know it's possible to have no opinion when someone tells you about someone else making a mistake or falling into sin or doing something wrong? You can actually just say, huh. I don't know how to spell that, but, uh, huh. Or, you know, they say, what do you think? Nothing. Well, certainly you think something about that. What do you think about what they said about you? Nothing. Why why do you think nothing? Because I choose not to. It's my choice to not get involved with that. It's my choice to not not let that occupy space in my heart. I, I choose nothing. But we're so, we're so taught in our culture to magnify negative stories. I mean, what's on the news? Negative stuff sells, right? It's all the things that are going wrong. If some politician or some preacher or some, someone that's well-known falls into sin or, you know, tweets photos of themselves or something, you know, goofy stuff that goes on, everyone knows about it and everyone wants to know about it. That's just really not the love of God. That's not how God, God works. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful because God knows everything about me and He's not telling you. 
He knows where, I, where I've come short and where I need to grow and, and, and straighten up. And He's not spreading anything. He's not doing that to you. You, you know, when I, when I was in Bible school, the, the founder of the school, you know, was, uh, stood in the office of a prophet. You know, and a prophet in the Old Testament, they're called a seer. They operate in gifts like word of knowledge and word of wisdom frequently. And, uh, and, and know things by the Spirit. And there, there was, a, there was a, a common saying that went around. That if so and so, this person, if he shakes your hand three times, he knows everything about you. <laughs> and so we were all counting. Those opportunities we had to shake his hand, we thought, oh no. Everything good today? You know, and you think and want to get every, all the bad things out. Because <laughs> he, he's going to know about it. And uh, well, <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. The, the ministries that God gives us, I mean, oh Lord, you'll use me in, in different uh, revelation gifts at times. But, you know, the Lord's not telling a minister everything wrong about people. Where I'm, I'm standing up here ministering and the Lord is showing me while I'm speaking all the sins that have been committed this week. No. I mean, if anything is ever mentioned from the, the negative side, it's for the purpose of helping and bringing someone up, but it's not for exposing. You are safe here. No one's going to no stand up here and call you out and expose your sin to the world. And we need to be that way towards others. You know of someone that's done wrong. You know of someone that's fallen, that's gotten into some wrong things. Uh, shut up. That's the way the love of God will be about it. it just, keep, just, just keep it down and don't do anything that will bring harm to them. That will embarrass them. That will that will cause them pain. Again, that's not the way the, that God is is treating us. He treats us right. We should treat others right. James chapter one says that every good and perfect gift comes down from God. He's given good gifts. What are we given? What are we given to other people? He's given us good things. He's not bringing uh, negative things into our life. Contrary to popular religion these days, God didn't break your leg, He didn't give you a tumor, and He didn't kill your dog. That's just not Him. He's the giver of good gifts. And He's not the, he, he's not the one that, that's bringing those things in, into people's lives. Go to James chapter 3 with me. Maybe that's the reason why some people feel justified in their unkind acts towards others. They really feel that God is that way towards them. They feel that, that, that God is doing them wrong. They feel that God is teaching them lessons by, by giving them trials and hardships and all these things. But no, every good and perfect gift is coming from Him. And so every good and perfect gift should come from us to other people. Do you make life more difficult for someone else? By the way, when I said we don't point out and and uh, identify people's sins, we'll do it. I'll do things like that in a generic way. That right there was something for someone from the Lord. Not going to call anyone out and expose them, but it's a word that'll help. Are you making someone else's life more difficult, or are you making someone else's life easier? Are they better off because of your presence? your friendship, your relationship with them, or do you drag them down and make things hard? Okay, this could help us to see whether we're abiding in His love. Say amen or say oh me or be quiet if you want. James chapter 3, verse 13. 3.13 
who is wise and understanding among you. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, now think about that phrase, self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual. Look at that word. It's demonic. What do you mean demonic? Well, the the bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts. That is a demonic thing. It's of the flesh. It's of this earth, of this world. He's went on to say, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Think about that. Confusion, everything bad, everything evil is in the place where someone has bitterness and self-seeking in, in, in their hearts. Now, why is that the case? Why is it the case that every evil thing is there? It's because because self-seeking is the direct opposite of the true love of God. It is others seeking, and then it opens up the goodness of God, the glory of God, all His presence and His grace when there's love. But when there's the opposite of love, self-seeking, you open up the door for all kinds of nonsense. Every evil thing is in that environment. Now, this is interesting. If you read this verse in the, in the King James Bible, it says that where envy and strife exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. That tells me something. When some translators called it self-seeking, others said strife. Huh. You know, that's really, you could put those things right together. Those who have a lot of self-seeking are also fighting and arguing and fussing with a whole lot of people. There's a lot of strife in a home, in a marriage, in a business, in a working relationship when people are self-seeking. If I'm just looking out for me and what can you do for me and, and, and let's make this happen for me, we're going to have some, we're going to butt heads a few times. Self-seeking can ruin a marriage. I heard communication is the number one problem in marriage. It's probably not. It's probably this. It's selfishness. It's self-seeking. I don't care how much you can articulate your position. (laughs) I can communicate what I want very well. Communication is not an issue with me. (laughs) I know, you're, you're just full of yourself. It's, it's self-seeking. That's what the problem It'll ruin a marriage. It'll ruin a family. It'll ruin business relationships. It ruins church relationships. Uh, and it, it's very common, you know, nowadays. People just, they come to church and it's all about me. I just didn't like this. And I don't like the way this person did this and said this and this happened and this felt. And, 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 and I, 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 The reason God called us together because I'm saved all I'm saved without you. You're saved without me. You don't need me to go to heaven. Have a relationship with God. The reason God called us together is not for I, for me, or for you. It's for us. It's for us. And that's why so many people mess up church. And once they mess it up there, they mess it up somewhere else. 
And they're looking for the perfect church. And in their minds, that's where everyone says, it's all about you. You're the only one that matters. And we're going to make every decision based upon you alone. No one else but you. <laughs> but, in, you know, instead it's all about me. I don't like this. I don't like this. Well, what, what about someone else? How many other people did you make their day better to, just by being in church with them? How many people did you get healed by laying your hands on them? Huh? How many people did you help? How, how, how many individuals did you make their life better? See that? But that's not the mindset. It's, no, I like this. I think this. I feel this. I agree with this. Yes, I'm staying. I disagree with this. I'm out of here. It's all about me. <laughs> right? Me. There's no one else here. Just me. I see you. Me. Let me read you a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10.24 Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. No one seek his own. 1 Corinthians 13.5, talking about love, says, Does not behave rudely. Does not seek, what? Its own. Love doesn't seek me. Its own. Philippians 2.21 Paul wrote here but to them, he said, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Wow, that's quite a statement. He's writing to them. He says, listen, everybody, everyone, apparently so, everyone is seeking their own, not the things of God. They sing about them. We sing the songs, quote the scriptures, do all this stuff. But ultimately, it boiled down when you you know, grind it all down to powder and come down to this. He said, everyone's just out for themselves. You guys, none of you are seeking the Lord. I hope that's not the case in our group, you know, our section of the body of Christ. I, 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 I hope that's not the case that we're all, not all just looking out for our own and none of us are seeking the things of Christ. Because, again, we're only given one command, right? <laughs> Love. Why do we mess it up so bad? I mean, just one. Old Covenant, they had hundreds. I mean, you couldn't even remember them all. You, you'd break half of them by mistake. I didn't even know. We've just been given one. Love. What is that? Don't think about you. Think about somebody else. Put someone else first. Meet the needs of someone else, not yourself. And a lot of this, now, um, it comes down to this. We read the, the scripture about if you owe someone pay them. Don't owe anybody anything, just except for love. If I'm really abiding in the, in the love of God, this thing called true love, I am taking ownership for my own life, my own actions, my own decisions, because all of them affect somebody else. It is very difficult for someone to say, you know, my decisions, that's all about me. It doesn't affect anyone else. I mean, if you're living on an island and you're the only one there, you might be able to make a case. But still, people are going to, if anyone ever knew you, they're going to wonder why you went there and what you're doing, so you still influenced them to a degree. I'm just saying, none of us can live as islands unto ourselves where our actions, our decisions, our beliefs, everything we do, doesn't affect anyone. It always affects someone. 
And so if I'm going to operate in the true love of God and abide and live there, I must take ownership for my own life, my own decisions, and my own bad choices. Because they have affected somebody else. And if I'm loving them, that's all I care about, is how I have have impacted someone else. Does this make sense to anybody? Okay. So when it comes to wrong choices, doing wrong, when it comes to sin, when it comes to poor decision making, what do we need to do? I think the baseline of this that will take all of our relationships out of this, this surfacey little area and allow them to go deep and be genuine is that we admit something when we're wrong. We admit it when we're wrong. We come clean about things. We don't act like nothing happened. It did happen. Take ownership. Cowboy up. Have a spine. Come on, suck it up and tell someone what you did. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) But the denial of things that are wrong or out of place, all that does is exalt ourself. Well, I'm not comfortable saying it. I don't want to admit it makes me look bad or everyone else should just get over it. Why don't you just all, everyone should just forgive me and move on. You see, people nowadays, they don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge being wrong about anything. And I think that's a real problem. It's a real problem in our relationship with God if we're just acting like, you know, we're perfect in all of our ways. It's a problem with other people because, listen, whether you know it or not, everyone knows that you're not perfect. Everyone, especially those who are close to you. Everyone knows that I'm not perfect in all my ways. And if I want to act like I am, all they're going to know is I'm both not perfect and I won't acknowledge those things that aren't perfect. He's not only imperfect, but proud about it. It doesn't really sustain anyone's reputation. You know, there's there's some individuals that have made commentary about our our society in our day that it seems that uh, the younger generations and it's been mentioned that those who are 30 years and younger seem to have a more difficult time these days apologizing saying I'm sorry because there's so much of it it's been called an over affirmed I can do no wrong generation Everything is, good job, you did it, you're not wrong, it's just individuality, or whatever people want to call it, and no one is called on the carpet for actually making wrong choices, and in the middle of that, someone's going to have a relationship with someone who can never do wrong, now don't raise hands, some of you are saying, I'm married to that person right now, (laughs) But but I mean seriously, if that is the case, you know that's a problem. Your relationship is at a, 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 you know, a stopping point. You can't go any further until people take ownership for their life and their decisions. Uh, love doesn't pretend. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's not a cover-up. Cover-ups don't get healed. Well, we live in a fake world that says everything's fine when it's not. This hardens our hearts and blocks our ability to receive God's blessings. If everything is not great, then then something needs to change. 
See, I don't want, if everything is not just outstanding in my life, I don't want to be duped into this belief that, well, if I just hold on a little bit longer. I just need to hold on a little bit longer and everything will get better. No, no, no. Something has to change. People have been, I prayed three years ago and I'm still believing that God's going to answer this prayer. No, He's not. That was no prayer to begin with. Three years? I mean, heaven might be a little ways away, but not three years away. You, You know what I'm talking about? People have religiousized and duped themselves into thinking that I can, you know... I'm just going to keep holding on. Nothing's working, but I'm going to keep holding on, and one of these days things are going to change. In order for change to take place, the Bible word is called repentance. Repent means to change. It means I acknowledge that I've done the wrong thing. I'm going the wrong way. I'm believing incorrect something. Something's out of whack. Something's out of line. I don't have to be condemned about it. I'm forgiven of all my sins. I'm right with God. So it's not about that. It's just something's out of whack. Something's not right here. We need to alter and make a change. How do I know when I've changed enough? When you see results. When you see the power of God, the glory of God. You're, he, he, you asked and you received. Things are done. And if that's not the case, time to acknowledge and not pretend everything's perfect. I've never done anything wrong. Everything good in my life. The Lord and I were like that. Really? And this is the result? That's what, so that's what it's like to be that close to God. That? I'm going to be over here. You know, in the whole life of faith, the Bible doesn't tell us that, you know, that God, that faith will do this, that, you know, faith calls those things that are as though they're not. Remember from Romans chapter 4? Faith calls those things that be not as though they were. It doesn't call those things that are as though they're not. And that's what a lot of people are doing. This is not real. I don't acknowledge this. There's nothing wrong. There is something wrong. Faith calls those things that, that are in the unseen realm into the seen realm. It said, this is not, but God promised me this. God's word said this. I'm going to act like that is true, and I'm going to change my life, change my circumstances, not deny that there's any problem, not deny that there's ever an issue. Look at uh, James chapter 5. Can you take a a couple more minutes here? Everybody okay? Brunch reservations, they're okay? Everybody good? James chapter 5. Notice verse 16. James 5.16 reads, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice the language. Not deny your trespasses. Not pretend they don't exist. Not tell everyone else to get over your trespasses. Huh? No. What, what should you do? Confess your trespasses to who? To who? One another. It's talking about if I've done you wrong, I need to talk to you about it. I need to admit it to you. And the end result is what? Healing. Healing. But this mindset of, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Just get over it. Everyone ought to just chill. Leave me to live my own life. Fine. But you'll never have a deep relationship. You'll never experience true love. You'll never know that God, that God lives in light. Light, not darkness, not where there's, everything is hidden, where things are revealed. 
Again, not, not, not I mean God's revealing your problems to someone else, but between you and Him has to be totally open. Everything is already open before Him. Uh, we're naked before Him. Uh, everything's open. That's what allows us. But if we're denying things, we cut off that relationship. If we deny things, you know, sometimes people can be married for 30 years before uh, she finds out he hates his meatloaf. Right? What, all these years? But he wouldn't tell her until he was so angry at something else she did that it finally came out. And people live with all this stuff. And what I'm seeking is true love. This way, this way. True love in all of our relationships. And there's got to be an honesty about our, our lives. Okay? Not a sin consciousness. An acknowledgement of what is so that solutions come, forgiveness, the blessing of God can flow. Go to Luke 17. We'll finish there today. Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, let's read verse 3. 17, 3. Says, Jesus said here, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, uh, rebuke him. And if he repents, what? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall do what? Forgive him. Again, here's the mindset that people have, I think it's more popular nowadays, that If I do something wrong towards you, you should just get over it. In other words, I don't need to say anything. I don't need to apologize. I don't need to say I'm sorry. You just you just get over it and let me deal with it. No, that's not what that's not how this relationship gets fixed. And he said, if they don't do it, go tell them. You did this. You did this. You need to change. He said, rebuke them and then give them a chance to repent or turn or change. And then there's forgiveness. Then accounts are settled. Then everything is made right. You know, long time ago, a few years ago, I mean, when I was a teenager, uh, I had a I had a, a friend, and uh, one day he told me he was going to do something for me, and he was going to be there for me in this particular regard, and and. He didn't. He left me hanging. Not a phone call, not anything. And I was quite annoyed. When I saw him, he still didn't say a thing. Didn't apologize, didn't say, sorry about that, my bad, would have been there for you, you know, explain, nothing. Just nothing. And that really annoyed me. And I was not the most mature individual either. Uh, And so what I did was nothing as well. And so you know what happened to our friendship? It ended. And we were never friends again. Over something really stupid, really minuscule in the big picture, not a big deal. But he did me wrong. He wouldn't own it. And I wasn't mature enough to call him on it. If I'd go back now, I'd say, I'd call him up or go see him and say, what's the deal? You did this. You were wrong. Huh? What? What? You know, give him a chance to say, yeah, I'm sorry. And I would have forgotten it. It would have been over. Maybe we'd have been lifetime friends. We're fine today. You know, we don't see each other. We're in different, different lives, but everything's fine and good. But I'm just saying, it was it, the absence of someone admitting to 
and taking ownership of what they did. In other words, preferring the other person and what they think, that can destroy relationships. And if I'd have known some things, if I'd have known this and other verses, I'd have went to him. But at the time, I, I didn't know everything either, and I didn't do everything right. And so it, it ended up in a relationship going, going apart. Why am I saying these things to you today? Uh, I believe this is the way that God treats us. I know it is. He treats us in genuine sincerity and honesty and openness. He'll shoot us straight. And us living in that love, we relate to Him that way, and we need to deal with each other that way as well. Amen.